Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. This podcast contains graphic details of a young girl's murder. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on, Amy should be 40. There's a lot now that with social media and all these other outlets of predators to find children. And Amy's was just a phone call. To this day, I, th- I think it's possible that, that the guy that took Amy it could have been the guy that tried to take me in that park. Day to day, I'm just like everyone else. October, December, February, it gets harder. That's Jason Mahalovic, Amy's older brother by two years sitting outside his home on his porch. Most of his life has been spent without his sister, so much of it thinking how life would have been different with her. Growing up with her, um, going from the fighting brother-sister to a good, true friendship, you know, a good, you know, not loving relationship, because that was always there, but, you know, that, that friendship, that reliance on each other. And then there's the part he doesn't think about much how he retreated, almost tried to disappear himself when Amy went missing. I figured my parents had enough on their plate, so I sort of went in the background. I'd go in the basement and build my model cars or take the dog out for a walk to the lake, just trying not to be in the house and be in their way because I couldn't call people. I couldn't go drive someplace. He was in the seventh grade, eyes set on high school, but distracted. Trying to monitor the phone for a phone call that obviously never came his outlook on life changing. Each day, the hope gets less and less. It's your new reality. While the lies began to sting. You're listening to Amy Should Be 40, a five-part series. With each episode, we're exploring one of the most haunting and heartbreaking missing children's cases of our time. Now in episode four, we begin with what Amy told her mom to buy time on the day she disappeared. And how her brother, who thought about meeting her after school, went home instead on October 27th, 1989. And coming home to an empty house, except for the dog. I remember calling my mom and asking her what was going on. She suggests she remembered that, you know, Amy had told her about a uh, choir practice or tryout of some sort, and that she would be home later. Okay, fine. But there was no choir practice. In fact, the choir didn't even meet that day. An hour goes by. Eventually, it's five. By now, you know the rest. When a reporter later asks him on Amy's birthday in December about seeing her picture in so many places, it is as if by then he's built a cocoon. When you pass a sign and there's a picture of your sister, what does it do to you? Oh, painful. Painful still. There are really no words to fully describe it. I know she would have been bright and happy and successful at what she was trying to do. So then why? Why? Did the guy promise her a lifetime of ice cream? A pony? 
popularity beyond her wildest dreams, a date to the dance? No. He promised something Amy wanted even more. The chance to make her mother happy, a woman nearing a divorce. In the suburb of Bay, and many others for that matter, many moms and daughters are in that same boat, bonding together in a time of trouble. Maybe it's not a divorce, but a financial hardship or perhaps a sickness. For Amy, it was worth the risk to cheer up her mother, even if that cheer was only temporary. We were both told not to walk off with strangers. We were both told not to, uh, you know, answer the door, go off in cars with other people we don't know. She was naive, but not stupid, if that makes sense. So what was said to actually lure her into the van, I baffles me because we did know not to do that. Now, two clarifications. First, witnesses say it wasn't a van, which may fit the narrative of a creeper, but rather a bronze Pontiac. Remember the witness in episode one called it a GM who also makes Pontiac? Amy's body had fibers from such a car. The other clarification, and a far more important one, is that Amy wasn't dumb. And you can't completely blame her misstep on her youth either. Think about her parents at the time. They're feuding. Something so personal, painful, and even irrational. People behave in a way they otherwise wouldn't, and they know it. At least they should. So why can't kids do the same, especially in tough times? Be a bit unpredictable. Some may lash out as bullies. Others become victims. But Amy wasn't either. Her way of coping was to trust that the world could be better, that her mom could be happier if she just put herself out there took a risk. Naive may be right, but as her brother said, Amy wasn't stupid. Everyone knows everyone knows she's in peril and then realizes, of course, those who know us that we are as well. Perhaps explaining why Margaret would burrow herself in Amy's bedroom, away from that peril, to try and embrace what good was left. Mother and daughter still inseparable. My mom sort of moved into her room So it was sort of my mom's room, and I didn't go into there much. It stayed pretty much the same as I can remember. She didn't change anything in there, no. She passed away in 2002, so a lot of that is the stress from what she went through. It's heavy stuff, and Jason admits he blocked out a lot. Who can blame him? You're powerless, but there's just so much to take in. I was sort of focused on being out of the way versus my feelings at that point. It was just what it was. You know, I went about my life, I took care of the dog and did what I could. Going on today to become a dad of two boys. Makes me a better father, it makes me realize that, you know, my time with my kids is absolutely vital and I'm not gonna give that up for the world. By the way, Jason probably will not hear this podcast or if Amy's killer is ever caught, won't hear it on TV. He's still tuning out the past, avoids a lot of media, unless he's asked to talk. Just because I don't want to relive it, I've, I've dealt with it in real life. Let's change gears for a moment. Remember the Andy Griffith show? That happy-ass Americana? Well, some people call Bay Village Bayberry, like the fictitious Mayberry in that show. And despite the name, Bayberry is also fake. Not a real place, at least not around Cleveland. It's the idea that Bay Village is a place where neighbors have each other's backs, and I've seen it, it is true. 
you see a lot of churches, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Lutheran, no organized sports in the park on Sundays. Then there's the other side. Remember Sam Shepard, the neurosurgeon accused of bludgeoning his wife to death only to be exonerated? The TV series, The Fugitive, was based on it. As the doctor searched for the one-armed man, that crime took place in Bay. And I found a kind of guilty pleasure in a popular Facebook page called Secret Bay Village. It's a great place when you want to see what your neighbors are really up to. Sometimes you can see their cute pets and help find them when they're lost, or you can see just how petty they are, particularly at trash time. Here's an example. Posting notes on cans and then pictures on Secret Bay Village expressing outrage at owners who don't remove their cans quickly enough. If you take too long, you're in trouble. I love a line James Renner wrote in 2005 for Scene. It was in an article about Amy. Describing Bay is a place where, quote, dilemmas usually consist of whether to take chips or dessert to the block party. It's like people don't have enough real things to worry about, so they invent problems. A lot of places they do this. Or maybe they call police. Perhaps part of the reason that the department still gets weekly tips on Amy's killer. Yeah, they usually give a name and kind of a, a brief explanation of why they think they might be involved. Or they say, I don't know if they're involved, but, and they give some circumstance. And we're, we're fine with hearing that. That's Mark Spetzel again, who you met already. The don't talk to strangers police officer turned detective who is now Bay Village's chief of police. No longer working the midnight shift like he did in 1989 when he was just four years into the job, had Amy even been a little bit older at the time, Spetzel said it would have been unlikely to have rushed so fast to report her missing. Ten-year-old girl, yeah, this is not normal. This is something we need to pay big attention to, and then we did immediately. Believing the abductor must have been meticulous. I'm sure they had an out for anything that may have come up, whether, hey, my mom wants to talk to you, or, you know, somebody at the base square says, who are you, and who, this is, is this your child? And he probably had an out for that. My thought is he had all planned out, that no, no matter what came up, he was going to have an answer for it. When it came to suspects, Amy's family was actually the first on deck. Her father had been away on business in Cincinnati. And as we talked about, statistics point to family if the child isn't a runaway. They understood, the Mahalovics understood what had to be done, and, and those questions were asked, and they were ruled out immediately. Um, and then you start working out in kind of like concentric circles from the family. Did you know that parents rank financial literacy as the number one most difficult life skill to teach? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app for families. With Greenlight, you send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and keep an eye on your kids' spending. With real-time notifications, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. And parents can rest easy knowing their kids are learning about money with guardrails in place. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Like a stone thrown into Lake Erie from the shores of Bay Village's Huntington Beach, those circles went out further and further until they finally disappeared. Spetzel says he's had literally thousands of suspects reported. His detectives tried matching Amy's case with others in a national database looking for common threads. We've never found an exact match or even remotely close to what we have. Phone records couldn't help. Our producer asked about that. We identified all the long-distance phone calls, determined who they were coming from, vetted those out, and determined it had to be a local call that was made. And they had no record of the, how there's, 
No computerized records of calls back in, in the day like that, unless it was a collect call, long distance call. The only surveillance camera was inside a bank on the plaza, not outside. It would be so different today. Yeah, today if this happens, we've got phone records, we've got videos, we've got all kinds of different things. We've got far more credit card receipts of people in that, you know, you got so much more information than you would back in 1989. Which is frustrating because he doesn't feel anyone screwed up. It's frustrating because you do everything you're supposed to do in an investigation and yet you still don't have your offender. Spetzel's gone gray and had a family since he first heard Amy's name. And he's aged well. Next year, he'll retire. No firm plan on what he'll do, but he loves to travel. Uncertain is if he'll ever fully let go of this case. Mostly for Mark and Jason Mahalovic, their family, and then certainly the community too. I think they, owe, they deserve an answer. Which may lie in DNA. When you think of DNA today, you think of nuclear DNA, you think of blood, you think of what you can do with that blood. You can, you can get a profile from that DNA, you can put it into a database, and if the person's in the database, you're gonna connect. We don't have that kind of DNA. So our DNA does not lend itself to be put into a database for comparison against a known population. So if we're gonna be doing anything, we have to develop a suspect and then try to do a comparison on the back end of that kind of thing. All they have are three fragile hairs, all from white men found on that curtain and blanket in that field with Amy. It's limited, so we have to be very careful on what we do with it and how we do with it. And of course, DNA technology has advanced dramatically in the last few years, and I anticipate it will continue to do so. So right now, the technology doesn't lend itself for us to just quickly identify a suspect. I wondered what you likely did. If they could ID the Golden State Killer using evidence from the 70s and mid-80s, why not here? I did a story recently where they traced a suspect's lineage back to the 1800s. How could this evidence not hold more answers? We're hoping, anyway, that in the future there'll be some test with our DNA that we can do a test and, and create that. But right now we're not there while testing now would destroy that evidence. In the process of analyzing DNA, you use up that DNA, and it's gone, it's gone. So you have to be very careful on when you pick and choose what you're going to do. And because it's mitochondrial DNA, not nuclear DNA, you also need someone to match it to. Mitochondrial DNA is not a, like a one-for-one, one, this is the person who did it. It can, it can put you in a ballpark kind of thing and eliminate people, but it's not going to give you that one-on-one. you got to do your legwork afterwards. What if the killer is dead? hit by a car, already in custody, out of state. Those are all possibilities. Sorry, but there's even more room for discouragement when it comes to how Amy even got those hairs on her body. Once again, here's James Renner. Whoever abducted Amy uh, and took her away in a car, uh, maybe he gave a, a lift or a ride to his friend um, a week before, and his friend was in the car and one of his hairs fell out, ended up on the seat. And then when Amy was in that seat, it got picked up by her pants, you know. So that's how uh, contamination and trace evidence can can work. Um, I mean, it could even be as simple as uh, back in '89, they used to reuse body bags. You know, it could have been whoever was in that bag before her. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're holding out hope that it's uh, that it's somebody connected to the case of the killer. Another explanation for why there are three different male hairs on her body could be that more than one man was involved in this crime. You know, maybe you have suspects that alibi each other out. While one of those hairs holds a rare marker. Like on your DNA, and this marker is is associated with a higher risk of um, schizophrenia. 
So that's me is, you know, maybe that's the most likely one that came from our killer. You know, somebody that's capable of this would have mental issues as well. He knows what he would do. Instead of waiting another 10 years for some technology that might never come, and the more time we wait, the like, more likely it is that whoever killed Amy Mihalovic will die before he spends a day in prison. You would test? I would test now. I would test yesterday, <laughs> a month ago. But then the chances of having that accurate read would be gone forever. No one knows more than Spetzel. It's a long shot. I believe it's going to take someone from the public, somebody on the community, to call and say, hey, I haven't called, but I just want to let you know I've got this thought, and this is what I think. And if it's the right piece of information, all these pieces can, can come together. So where do we go from here? In our fifth and final episode of Amy Should Be 40, we'll learn about a possible breakthrough. You'll also hear from the FBI agent now leading the charge today. And we'll pay respects at Amy's final resting place, which isn't in Ohio, and make one last stop by that shopping plaza where a memorial honors her life of a girl who should now be 40. Next time on Amy Should Be 40. Turns out that the fellow was in the middle of the church and had just bellowed this out so that everybody heard it. And some parents were uh, protecting their kids. Some guys were looking for him to figure out if there was something they could do to help uh, apprehend him. The longer we wait, the better chance is that whoever did this will will die. They're getting old, you know, and, and they'll never spend... Uh, a day in in prison. Amy Should Be 40 is a five-part podcast in collaboration between 3 News in Cleveland and Vault Studios. I'm Andrew Horansky, senior reporter at 3, working with Phil Trexler and James Renner, pulling double duty as our fact checker. Our executive producer is Will Johnson. Our digital director is Denise Polverine. Special thanks go out to Mike Leonard, Susan Moses, Adam Ostro, and to our parent company, Tegna. From all of us, thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, Don't forget to give us a good review. See you next time.